Is the microphone? Yeah. Uh, so good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to Bruegel. So my name is Gregory Kless. I'm a research fellow here at Bruegel. Uh, I'll be moderating the, the debate today on, uh, on universal basic income. Uh, let me first thank uh, the audience for coming in such big numbers, but also uh, our speakers uh, for accepting my invitation to come uh, today to, to have this debate on universal basic income. Uh, so this idea of universal basic income, which is basically an unconditional uh, money transfer uh, paid to every individual in a, in a, in a geographical uh, uh, entity, uh, has been floated around for, for a few decades, or in fact, according to your book, even for a few centuries. Um, so uh, for a long time, it was really discussed by, by, by the academia. Uh, it was a bit confined to the academia. It was discussed by economists, by sociologists, by political scientists. But it was not uh, a mainstream debate. Uh, but however, in the last few years, uh, this idea of universal basic income has gained uh, a lot of traction and has now entered, in fact, in my view, um, a broader debate and a more mainstream uh, political uh, uh, debate. Um, we have seen, for example, in France uh, that it was one of the main proposals of one of the main candidates uh, in, the, in the presidential elections that took place in May. Uh, in Switzerland, there was a referendum. Um, on, on universal basic income last year in 2016. Um, and I think one of the, of the main uh, reasons behind the popularity of, of universal basic income is that maybe uh, universal basic income uh, answers some of the most uh, fundamental questions of our time, uh, namely, for instance, um, uh, the rise of inequality, uh, but also maybe the transformation of work, um, given that there is, uh, or, or that some people claim uh, that there is some uberization of society, some uh, transformation of work due to robotization, that, that job, so some job will disappear. So this uh, UBI might be an answer to, to all those fundamental questions. And as a result, uh, UBI is now tested in many parts of the world, uh, in Finland, but also in the Netherlands, in France, in Canada, in the UK, in Italy, in, in, in there are small like, experiments everywhere. Uh, so in order to discuss uh, the, the benefits and, and the potential drawbacks, but also maybe the practical implication also of implementing uh, the universal basic income uh, at, the sta at the scale of a, of a country or, or even at the, uh, a continent, if we talk about a European universal basic income, uh, we will have today uh, three uh, excellent speakers with us, uh, three experts of the, of the topic. Uh, that have been working on this uh, uh, for, for a bit of time. Uh, so we will start first uh, with uh, Professor Oli uh, Kagas, who is the professor at Helsinki University and head of the research department of the Finnish Social Insurance Institution, and who is in charge of the, of the Finnish experiment uh, today. Uh, then uh, we'll have um, also uh, Philippe von Parais, who is professor at, uh, at the University of, uh, of Louvain and has been a strong advocate of universal basic income for, for years. He's one of the founders of the Basic Income Earth uh, Network. And he's uh, more recently the author of a book on universal basic income, uh, which is called uh, Basic Income, Radi a Radical Proposal for a Free Society and a Sane Economy that is published uh, with Yannick van der Boek at, uh, at Harvard, Harvard University Press. And finally, we have uh, Professor Ilmar Schneider, who is the CEO of uh, ISA, the Institute for, for Labor Economics, and is the author of a, of a critical paper on, uh, on universal basic income that was published recently called uh, Universal Basic Income, Empty Dreams of Paradise. 
uh, where he criticized not only the concept itself, but also um, the way experiments are, are taking place. So I hope uh, we'll have a good debate, uh, given that we have different views. Uh, so um, how are we going to proceed? I suggest that we start with uh, uh, Oli first, who will present us, in fact, what's taking place at the moment in, in Finland and the experiment that uh, he has been conducting there. Then uh, we'll do it in, in alphabetical order. We'll have uh, uh, Ilmar who will uh, um, give us his main arguments, uh, I, I suppose, against uh, universal basic income. And we'll finish with uh, uh, Philippe who will uh, discuss the main benefits of, of universal basic income. And then we, <laughs> yeah, and we'll have uh, then a, a Q&A with the, with the audience. So please. Maybe you should mention that Anke couldn't. Ah, yeah, yeah. In fact, we had a fourth, um, a fourth speaker that was on the program. Um, uh, but she, unfortunately, she could not make it uh, for personal reasons. So we're sorry about that, but I think we still have a good panel. So I, let me give the floor um, to Ali first. Thank you. Speaking better when I'm walking. Uh, so basic income experiment in Finland, uh, basic income uh, is in quotation marks because uh, this, I would say, and uh, it's good to remember that this is not a proper UBI experiment in Finland. And the, the reason is obvious when I go further uh, in my presentation. So uh, the background in the experiment that started in Finland uh, is in, first of all, in the fourth uh, industrial revolution that's taking place in Finland, like uh, everywhere. And uh, the government that launched this experiment, uh, it was thinking that perhaps we should uh, try something new, uh, try to find out what are the uh, proper responses to those uh, challenges caused by digitalization and globalization in the Finnish labor markets. And uh, then in Finland, uh, we have a pretty tricky situation in that sense that we have lots of income-tested basic uh, benefits that are paid on top of each other, so that if you have a unemployed person who is getting money from my employer, from social insurance institution, it's called basic unemployment compensation, and it's paid forever until the pension age of the person. And on top of that, the person most probably will get housing allowance and then also uh, social assistance. And it means that the, those three elements are income tested, and then <clears throat> if a person finds an employment, in that case, everything will be taken away. Uh, and then the net effect uh, will be something like nil. And the effective marginal tax rate in those cases are something like 80 to 100%, depending on family situation. So that it means that every single euro person is getting uh, from employment uh, is reduced by 80 cents or 100 cents, uh, so that the uh, work doesn't pay at least enough. And then there are lots of uh, bureaucratic traps. You can imagine if a person is getting four or, or five different uh, benefits, and then uh, she's running here and there and, tra and trying to somehow swim in the sea or, or myriads of uh, different kind of basic benefits. Then, uh, I, in the very beginning, I hoped that uh, I were Tom Cruise and would uh, do that mission impossible that the government gave to us. We had to study almost everything, so that the, uh, which models are most or better or the best one to, to test in the Finnish context, 
and what are the different levels and how to combine the existing social security system with the basic income experiment and which kind of tax uh, treatments there should be, etc. And then uh, uh, also because this is not only a national experiment in the EU context, uh, we had to uh, deliberate which kind of consequences the European legislation would have in the Finnish experiment and what will happen or would happen in the case that Finland would uh, implement basic income, how it would be uh, uh, treated by the European Union. And then on the basis of those deliberations, uh, we did some uh, recommendations for the uh, government on the uh, experiment. And then, uh, uh, as I said, that uh, this is not only a national thing, and very much in the debates on, on uh, basic income, uh, at least in the European context, we have to take into consideration the European legislation. So that, uh, for example, in the Dutch experiment, they are only dealing with, uh, with uh, uh, social assistance recipients, and they don't need to bother with and wrestle with the European legislation. That in the Finnish case, we have social assistance, housing benefits, and basic unemployment benefits that are uh, somehow re replaced by the basic income. And uh, already when it comes to basic unemployment benefits, uh, they to some extent are insurance-based and all insurance-based benefits by law are regulated by the European uh, Union. And therefore, uh, it means that the more we uh, replace by the basic income, the more we have to take into consideration the other European Union countries and the European legislation. So that uh, we had four different options given by the uh, parliament or the government to study full basic uh, income. That means that the level in the Finnish case had been something like 1,000 or 1,500 euros uh, a month. And very soon on the basis of those micro simulations that we were carrying out, we realized that that is totally unrealistic uh, approach. So that the, uh, spending levels or the spending had been something like uh, four or five times higher than, uh, than uh, at the present system. And then uh, a flat rate tax collected on income coming on top or basic income had been uh, 70 or 80 percent and uh, although the Finns loved their taxes it had been too much and demanding too much uh, love affair in that case, and uh, I don't think that it had lasted pretty long. And then negative income taxation system was on the agenda, but at present we don't have a proper uh, income register system in Finland. It's uh, working on annual basis, and we should have had something that's working on monthly or uh, probably on weekly basis. We will have it 2019, and we are very much hoping for that we can then conduct a much better uh, experiment that is one that uh, we are carrying out. And then, uh, uh, especially the conservatives wanted to study the low basic income plus participation income. And participation income means that benefits are taken away if a person is not behaving properly. Uh, but uh, we uh, then thought that it's not the basic income. Uh, and uh, in this uh, experimental context, we had had no possibility whatsoever to. Uh, screen and follow what people are doing and to decide how much they must do, which kind of things they must do, and how much uh, we must pay for this and that. 
so that we uh, thought that, okay, that's not, uh, not something for us. And then partial basic income was uh, at least the, the uh, option that was uh, there. And we did, as I said, lots of micro-simulations, uh, trying to figure out what are the net effects in terms of national economy, who will win, who will lose, what are the uh, tax levels, et cetera, et cetera. And on the basis of those uh, we, uh, simulations, we gave uh, some <clears throat> recommendations to the government. The whole population had been the target of the, uh, of the experiment, and then uh, it had been a random, randomized uh, uh, sampling representing the whole country and the whole population, and then uh, local uh, <clears throat> experiments uh, figuring out what the, the local effects and interaction effects are. And uh, then uh, we had an idea that uh, we would have something like uh, 8,000, 10,000 persons in the, the experiment. And we had also ideas that there had been different levels and different taxations uh, levels of taxation uh, linked to those different levels, just to see how levels and how taxes uh, affect people's uh, behavior. But uh, then what happened, uh, our experiment was squeezed very much in that sense that uh, it was 560 euros, uh, that was the, the level, and uh, uh, in the end, we ended up oh, taking 2,000 persons. And the reason is the government said that the, the limitation is 20 million and they didn't promise anything more to us. We said that uh, we would need 40 million uh, extra and they said no way that uh, you have the 20 million and then uh, you must run with that uh, 20 million. So that uh, that's the obstacle and uh, Limitation that we have only unemployed persons uh, who are getting benefits from Kila. But uh, I think what's good in this experiment is that it's obligatory uh, and it's a randomized uh, sampling out of, of Kila unemployed persons. And we have uh, randomized the control group and randomized the treatment group, and then we can compare them because they are totally identical uh, when it comes to background materials. And uh, then <clears throat> there were reasons why the experiment was created. There were constitutional limitations, uh, and because the constitution is saying that everybody must be treated equally, and in this kind of experiment we are treating people unequally, then we had lots of deliberations with, with lawyers. That, uh, is it possible to carry out? But anyway, I'm pretty satisfied with that uh, we had. Uh, finally, green light to carry out this. And then, <clears throat> Kela unemployed, uh, there, it was uh, easy to make a random sampling there. And uh, first of all, it was easier to write a law uh, on, on the experiment because uh, you don't understand anything about that. Uh, it's not a problem because I uh, do not uh, understand anything about that, but it's just a picture how to. We, which kind of things we had to, to deal with when we implanted a very simple thing like basic income in a very complex social security system. And this is a very simplified picture. So that when we were writing the law, 
uh, it was uh, a year ago, and happily enough in the north, uh, northern hemisphere, uh, nights are long and, and uh, light, so that uh, we had lots of time. Uh, first, we had lots of inspiration, then lots of desperation, and finally lots of perspiration. But finally, something came out, and, uh, <coughs> and, and <coughs> what came out, it summarized it in the video that will tell everything more eloquently that uh, I can ever, ever do. Please, let's start the summary. No, nothing else to say. Thanks very much for this uh, wonderful presentation. And, uh, <laughs> let's give the floor to, to Ilma. You also have slides, right? Yes. Sir. So let's wait for them for a second. something that is helpful for a lively debate. Um, I feel very sympathetic about a basic uh, income, but uh, 
of course, you have to take into account some issues that are generated by the real world that is surrounding us. And I devote some um, minutes on addressing these. Um, first of all, I mean, what I will do here is I have three or four slides, and it's all about fallacies that go with the UEI. The first fallacy is about promises. If people get confronted with the idea of receiving a UBI, many people feel very happy about it. And um, this is a well-known phenomenon in social psychology. You always feel happy about things that you are supposed to receive, a luxury car or something like that, or a big win in a lottery, makes you much more happy during the time when you are expecting it than the moment you get it. The Mercedes-Benz, the big car, uh, you may have uh, thought that that will make you very happy. After 14 days, you will discover that your happiness level is not much higher than it used to be before. And that's true for many other things, too. Uh, we have illusions about how happy things will make us that go away the moment we, we get hold of them. So I think that the, the positive notion that many people have when they are confronted with UEI is just an effect of this uh, thing. And so people may have illusions about how happy it will make them, uh, but you can feel very happy about it as long as we don't have it. The other fallacy that I would like to point to is income itself will also not increase as much as many people will think. Because all the experiments, for example, also the one that we just heard of, but also many others, are experiments where the UBI has been given to a certain group of people and there was no need to consider where the money is coming from. But if you assume that this would be a model for everybody, the money must come from somewhere. And as a matter of fact, that will substantially lower income because if it has to counterbalance by some uh, source of money, then as a result, what you receive is much lower than uh, what you expect to receive. And there are also price effects involved that I would like to address in a few seconds. So false promises is one thing. False incentives is another one. A UBI will create substantial negative incentives for effort and work. That's at least something that economists are absolutely sure about. It's called the income effect of, um, of money. And uh, this is something that is told students in economics already in the first semester. And we have a lot of evidence that that plays a role in real life, too. But uh, there's another effect which is often underestimated in the debate. This is price effects. A lot of proponents of the UBI tell us that a UBI will make you more um, let's say, selective about the jobs that you have to 
topic. A lot of people are forced to work in jobs that no one really wants to do. Uh, these are badly paid jobs where people have to work hard for their money. And assuming that you would have a basic income that would be sufficiently high, then of course you can, be, be, you can become more picky about the jobs that you take. So no one maybe would be willing to clean the toilets anymore, work hard in the kitchen uh, where it's hot and steamy and there's a lot of stress and all those types of jobs that are low paid but still very hard to do, people might now become more picky about that and then there are two options that may arise. First of all, no one will be wanting to do those jobs and as a matter of fact then we would have to do those things ourselves. That would mean if that happens, we would be forced to, to do the nasty things that we used to delegate to other people ourselves and it would take away also time from us to do those, those things that we are good at and where we are well paid for. So this is not at all efficient. Or what, may, what might happen instead is if you still want to delegate these bad jobs to people, you would have to pay higher wages. That may sound like a good idea, but if you have to pay higher wages for the consumption that you are uh, enjoying, then of course that will constrain your budget and there will be less money left for doing the other, all the other things that you are used to consume. So the price effect would more or less substantially melt down the real value of the UBI and uh, so part of the income illusion that is generated in nominal terms would not exist in real terms. A UBI is also something that would it, make, would it make less attractive to invest in education. That's a serious problem for many people who are not gifted with strong intellectual skills, who may already, as kids, already uh, anticipate that they may end up in uh, welfare. Um, for them, a UBI would make it even easier to just let it go and, and um, uh, hope for a living based on a UBI. So people would invest less in their education. And last but not least, a UBI would force states to build up huge walls because the pull effect on immigration would be remarkable. So instead of a European unification, we would have to talk about um, a separation and isolation of national states, given that at least one of those would uh, decide to go for a UBI. So false incentives is one thing. False arguments is also uh, something that I would like to address. One of the most prominent arguments in the debate is digitization will destroy all our jobs and we will be left with machines that are doing everything, that are producing everything for us and there is no place for humans anymore. And so people will not be able to uh, make the living based on their own work. Uh, this is 
an argument that is accompanying manhood, I guess, since its very beginning. And um, technical progress is not something new. It's not something that just occurred recently uh, under the label of digitization. This is something, this is a very old phenomenon. And the fear of people about the destruction of jobs by technical progress is has been accompanied manhood ever since. But in fact, technical progress has never destroyed our uh, the, the, the amount of work that people um, exert. And in, in, it's just the opposite. It has made our life much more easier. Work nowadays is much easier than work 200 years ago. And uh, we, we have, our lives have become much more comfortable and we have become much more wealthier. And I don't understand why this should be different this time. There are a lot of people saying this time is different, but I've never seen a strong argument why it should be different this time. As long as I don't see that, I don't buy the argument that digitization will evaporate our work. Um, there are many examples of uh, UBI that are pointed to when, uh, when it's, uh, when it's uh, advocated. There's a famous German website which is called meingrundeinkommen.de. Uh, if you take a closer look at it, it's nothing but a lousy lottery. It's a lottery that is funded by some, sorry to say that, by some fools who are volunteering to spend money on that. So they are collecting money by people who are willing to give money. And each time they have collected an amount of 12,000 euros, they start the lottery. And everybody can register for that lottery. You can do that. And you don't have to pay anything. I can do it as well. And once you are registered, you are part of the lottery. And you have a chance to win 12,000 euros. And for one year, you will be paid 1,000 euros per month. And you don't have to tax it because it's a lottery win. And lottery win is not subject to taxation in Germany. And interestingly, on the website, you can also read that a contribution or a donation to that website will not be deductible from your tax bill because it's a lottery. And um, it's not anything that is in, let's say, uh, um, that has, uh, well, anyway, it's, it's, um, it's, it's clearly an issue that, this, that the fiscal authorities and the, the, uh, the uh, provider of that lottery are clearly aware that it is a lottery and nothing else. The Finnish UBI that we just uh, got presented by Oli is, it may have started out based on the idea of being a UBI, but as he already told us, it has degenerated into something which you should no longer call a UBI. It is not a UBI, even though people still call it this. And the Swiss proposal that was also mentioned here, which was also called a um, um, proposal for introduction of the UBI in Switzerland, is nothing but a, let's say, labeling trick. Uh, one of the main arguments there was 
It was a very generous proposal, by the way. If I remember correctly, it was about 2,600 euros per person that was um, envisaged. And the argument then uh, was, well, that, would, that may cost a lot of money. But um, a lot of Swiss people earn way above 2,600 euros anyway. So why not simply, instead of taking away a substantial amount of money from them and then reissuing it to them and call it uh, a UBI, we could just do that immediately by declaring part of your income that is subject to a work contract where you are obliged to do something in exchange for it. We just call it a UBI, and uh, we have introduced a UBI just by a declaratory trick. Uh, but this is not, uh, th this is not a serious uh, thing. And uh, a lot of proposals that I'm aware of the moment when they realize that there is a financial problem in funding the whole thing, turn into something which is known as a minimum income tax. But a minimum income tax is not a UBI. To be very clear, a minimum income tax is means-tested. Sorry, um, sorry, sorry, thank you very much, William. I'm in the negative income tax. A negative income tax is not a UBI because a negative income tax is means-tested. You only benefit if you are uh, short of money, but uh, if you are a millionaire, you will not receive a UBI, which I don't, uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not complaining about this, but uh, that clearly is something different than a UBI, which is coming with the promise that everybody will have an increase of money about in, in, in a certain magnitude. So let me stop with two questions. One is, why do we have to run experiments while it, while it would be simply sufficient to look at what people do who go on retirement or win big in a lottery? There's a lot of things that have the same impact on people's behavior like a UBI, and you can just take a look at them. I'm not aware of an overwhelming number of retirees who still continue working like they used to do before. And I know a lot of people who are looking forward to the moment when they can go on retirement. So that should make you at least um, critical on, on the idea that people will continue to work. And uh, the argument that retirement is not comparable to something else is, uh, because people are old and they are exhausted, this simply doesn't hold. I can tell you more about that if, uh, if I may. And. Um, Last question is a bit rhetorical, but um, it's not forbidden for people who believe in the sustainability and the uh, uh, workability of a UBI to just join in some kind of cooperation and start practic practicing it among themselves. And um, I'm asking myself, why didn't that happen already? that cast some doubts about the um, trust of the proponents in the UBI uh, that they may have themselves on the UBI. Thank you very much for your attention and hoping for a lively debate.
say the arguments. Well, I must say I uh, used a bit of a, a small, uh, a false pretext in order to be invited to speak last. I, uh, I'm a philosopher, and so philosophers in general prefer to speak last. To <laughs> Especially, I uh, should say, uh, as we as we live here, uh, about. Uh, uh, 400 meters away from uh, the place where one of the most uh, famous sentences in the history of philosophy uh, was written, not unrelated to the subject uh, today. Karl Marx uh, lived around the corner here on the, on the Rue de l'Alliance, and that's where he wrote uh, the famous sentence which stands in big letters in the foyer of Humboldt Universität and and also in English translation on his grave, where he said, the philosophen haben die Welt verschieden interpretiert, es kommt darauf an, sie zu ändern. And uh, so it's uh, the job of the philosophers not only to interpret the world, but also to change it. And I certainly believe that's an important role. And the role of philosophers consists in saying, well, it's very important to look at problems one by one and look at uh, what uh, the chapter one of uh, Introduction to Macroeconomics says about uh, labor supply and look at uh, how Kela uh, recipients would react and all that. But please, from time to time, lift your hand, take all this into account and have a picture uh, for a, a better world, but a better world. You must have a utopian vision about the future and at the same time look where you put your feet so that you don't uh, trip. And that's why I find it so important to have this sort of debate, to listen carefully to the objections that your contribution or Anker's contribution had she been here, here are really very important contributions to the ripening uh, of uh, the uh, debate. Now, um, what uh, perhaps the best way in order to engage in a discussion straight away is then uh, to uh, come back to uh, several of what uh, things the Hilmar said and indicate where I agree and where uh, I uh, don't agree. I should say that in general, also in what uh, in Anker's uh, earlier contributions or in the uh, recent report, which at least the Belgians among you might have been aware of uh, last week, a report was published by Itinera, sort of rather, I would say, a, a right of center uh, think tank uh, <coughs> in Belgium, a sort of in-depth discussion of uh, basic income. But in fact, most of what I need to do in response to that is uh, do two things, just uh, listen to their bazooka being fired, and then boom, it just goes over my head and shoots at the target, which is really not what I'm defending. And the second thing is read our book, read our book, and there you'll find an answer to 99% uh, of the questions you ask and, uh, and the objections uh, you make. And what do I mean specifically by that? Well, many of the, the attacks against basic income um, are based on the idea that basic income would be a big tabula rasa where you get rid of uh, existing social insurance, uh, where you would get rid of uh, all elements of uh, social uh, assistance, huh, which is not what is being done in the Finnish uh, experiment, and then you replace it by an income which you pay to everyone unconditionally uh, rich or poor. Uh, this is not uh, uh, the proposal I defend and not uh, the proposal most people defending a basic income defend, even though <laughs> some people do that. Uh, the most reasonable proposal consists in saying, look, uh, we are going to fit under the whole distribution of income, including uh, not only 
uh, incomes from labor and incomes from capital, but also some uh, benefits that will remain conditional under the present conditions will fit under all of that an unconditional floor uh, in circle, uh, a circle. And, uh, and uh, of course, the higher the circle, the, the, the more of an impact it, it will have. But you'll keep uh, uh, top-ups uh, that are related to the present uh, conditions, uh, that are submitted to the, to the present uh, conditions. That's the sort of perspective we uh, must have. And uh, for example, in the Swiss debate, uh, where what was being proposed was 2,500 Swiss francs per capita, uh, so 2,300 euros more or less at, uh, at the time, unconditionally to each uh, adult citizen, 25% so of that for uh, each child. Um, well, I took part in the Swiss debate on various occasions, in big debates in Zurich and in, uh, in, uh, in Geneva, but I told the supporters of the Swiss proposal, look, uh, of course, if I had I'd been a Swiss citizen, I would have voted yes. Uh, to the referendum, but had I been a member of, uh, the, uh, of the Conseil Federal, their executive, and in charge of implementing the 2,500 euros the following day, I would resign immediately. Uh, because, and then they replied, and that's important to bear in mind, they replied, yes, but you, don't, you are a naive foreigner, you don't know what it costs to live if you live alone in Zurich, right? And uh, if you want to live poverty, uh, to, to get rid of poverty, that's the level you need to have. Yes, but basic income will not suppress income poverty on its own because given that it's strictly individual and it's universal, uh, the implied cost would be very high. And the costing uh, uh, proposals that were made, and I don't agree with you that it was in the end a variant of EITC, it was really a basic income they were proposing. But, uh, but I agree with you that the cost proposal they were made was totally naive and sort of purely static in, uh, in, uh, in a way that indeed would, uh, uh, even uh, the first chapter of uh, Microeconomics 1 would uh, convince anyone that this is not the sort of way you need to reason about that. But the point is that the, what you need to, and nevertheless, also in terms of poverty, a much lower level of basic income would make a difference. Huh? Basic income being defined by three unconditionalities, strictly individual, then there is uh, no means test, uh, so rich and poor, and there is no work test, and uh, so it's uh, uh, given uh, also irrespective of whether you are able to work and willing to work. Well, even at a low level, uh, say 500 euros, uh, uh, 600 euros, uh, even somewhat less, depending on the GDP per capita in the various countries, it would make a difference also for poverty. And it's not sufficient to get rid of poverty, but First of all, the rate of take-up of all our conditional social assistance schemes, Hartz IV, Arbeitslosengeldfrei, or Revenu de Solidarité Active, or Les Flown, whatever we have, all these things have a rate of take-up that is far lower than 100%. The poor who are entitled to it, many of them don't get it because of a lack of information for which Procedures are often complex and they get lost in it and they have all sorts of problems and because of the stigmatization involved in it. So in terms, and so the, there is a safety net now, but there are holes and, and some of the least advantage in our society fall through these holes. One, two, there is the so-called poverty trap. The fact and you can, in, in the current system, and only refer to it in the many of the, or nearly all the, the current systems, well, if you, 
uh, have a benefit, and then you start working, people say bravo, as a reward we take your benefit away. In the case of if you have a firm uh, basis on which you can stand, well, this helps reduce, at the limit abolish, uh, for some categories of recipients, abolish the poverty trap related to this. And the third aspect is that often ignored in all the, the statistics about income inequality or poverty, it ignores the intra-household poverty. It does make a difference to give to every member of a household a separate uh, autonomous, uh, uh, separate income of her own. And so we quote a famous passage from Virginia Woolf about the importance of having not only a room of one's own, but an income of one's own. And of course, for women in particular, this is of, uh, of great importance. So <clears throat> that's, uh, in order to frame the debate properly, <clears throat> it's important not to use a, a straw man or, uh, or a caricature of what is being proposed, namely something like <clears throat> uh, 1,000, 1,500 euros uh, per capita, 2,500 Swiss francs, uh, and then you get rid of all the rest. No. Meaningful proposals say, well, we need to move uh, in a prudent way uh, by adopting a level of basic income that uh, will not uh, uh, allow us to scrap uh, uh, all the other systems. It will need to be complemented, and the point is not to replace social assistance and social insurance, because it will need to be recalibrated uh, if uh, basic income is in place, but it will enable these other schemes, the, the two components of our current welfare state, to do a better job than, uh, uh, than they do now, to do better the job for which they have been uh, designed. Now I'll go through, quickly through a number of points uh, you raised, uh, sometimes uh, in order just to uh, to clarify the issues. Uh, first, uh, I'll mention um, four points with which I agree. Uh, one, <coughs> very briefly in each case, uh, one, what you said of, about happiness. I couldn't agree more. We have a section in our, in our, uh, in our ch uh, ethical chapter, uh, chapter five in our book, where we say, uh, please don't argue for basic income uh, as a contribution to happiness. You simply don't know anything about it, and all the arguments that are being used for that purpose are flimsy, uh, if only because of the Easterlin paradox and a number of things that have been now uh, uh, I mean, abundantly uh, investigated. But above all, the aim must not be uh, ha to have a happy society. This is absurd as a name for our societies. Why? Uh, and and I quickly give that uh, the, the intuition of it, which in a way is contained in a, a neat paradox that was uh, presented by Durkheim, founding father of sociology, where he said that, uh, in fact, uh, he, he noted that there was a bizarre uh, positive correlation between how civilized the society was in terms of income, but also in terms of rights, equality, men and women, and positive correlation between that civilization so defined, and the rate of suicide, of uh, uh, suicide, uh, what he calls sad suicides, not the suicides which you do as a kamikaze or something for, to save your country, but uh, really because you think that uh, life is not worth uh, living. It was particularly high in Finland, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I think that it's uh, as high here. <laughs> Nowadays. It's gone down in Finland, perhaps because Finland is less civilized now than it used to be. But uh, anyway, so the, but the, the point is uh, that what, whatever the, the, the details also of, uh, 
of his an analysis, and, and he said, well, what, sh what should we uh, conclude? Should we try to make our societies less civilized, including in terms of equality of rights? No, it's uh, we need to make our societies more just. That's the point, and of course, you're, you're in the process, well, uh, more happiness for a number of people, maybe uh, a, a good byproduct, but you shouldn't be guided by that. If our society, by making it less just, by convincing people that they should remain poor, uh, if you make the society more happy, it wouldn't be a better society. But I agree with this, on, on, on certainly on this point. Uh, secondly, um, yes, uh, uh, about the... Uh, the negative effects on uh, uh, effort and uh, work. Uh, so there, is, there are various, uh, I mean, some experiments certainly can uh, teach us something, but uh, even though often it's not what we want uh, to, to know. But, uh, but one uh, of the sort of uh, uh, really uncontroversial outcomes of the negative in income tax experiments in, in the 1970s in the US was that there was a, 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 some fall in the uh, labor supply of secondary earners, that is mainly mothers. And, uh, and, uh, and the, I once discussed this with Jim Tobin, the, the American economist, and uh, who had been one of the inspirers of the thing, and he said, uh, well, yes, there have been two main results of, of these experiments. Neither of them surprised me. One is the one I just mentioned. The other one was in one of the experiments, the increase in the rate of divorce. But he said, <laughs> uh, what disappointed me was the political reaction to this, because this was part of the purpose. Because what it reflects is that these women got more bargaining power and more autonomy, and as a result of which, they could avoid the the double shift where they get up at five o'clock in the morning, have to park their kids, take the bus, go and clean uh, houses, etc., and then come back in the evening. Some of them could reduce their working time thanks to this further autonomy. What's wrong with that, he said. What's wrong with that? And two, uh, some of them were only with their, with their mate because they had no uh, other opportunity. They get a bit of autonomy. At least those who were most fed up with their guys could go away. And, uh, uh, and sack them. And he said, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? So that some of these things, which are too easily perceived by economists saying, oh, a fall in the labor supply, this is really a negative thing. It's wonderful in some cases, not in all cases. And so, and of course, you need to think about the sustainability of the whole system and so on. But having some fall in the labor supply, especially when this fall in the labor supply, uh, this predicted fall, doesn't take into account the response of uh, the other side of the labor market to which you also alluded. Because if there are all these women who stopped, who stopped doing the sometimes shitty job or badly organized jobs they used to do, and they stopped doing it, well, you want their work. What are you going to do? You are going to pay them better. And uh, that's uh, not bad to have women paid a bit better compared to men than today. And two, you'll try to improve their working conditions so that less of them will drop out because they'll be able to fit their, their working times better with this thing. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? So that's a, a, a point uh, on which, as you have perceived, I agree on some of the aspects you said, but uh, not on the conclusions you, you draw from it. Of course, what, what does need, and you're absolutely right, that we need to think about this in general equilibrium terms. And that, um, and so it's, 
uh, not true. Some people are sometimes worried about the price effect and the inflationary effect. You say, well, you give money to everyone and so prices will increase. No, this is too simplistic. And of course, in the case of uh, quantitative easing for, uh, uh, for the people, there you want some inflation. It's part of the purpose. And you use money creation for that purpose. But in most cases, you fund it through um, a redistribution. And what, whatever net cost there is, you adjust in terms of, uh, of uh, rates of taxation. So there is no increase in, uh, in aggregate uh, effective demand. But there is, of course, a price effect that will come via the labor market. If some goods will be produced, some services will be produced uh, more expensively uh, because of uh, some people withdrawing uh, from the labor market or reducing their participation in the labor market. But on that aspect, uh, so I, I really, and, and that's crucial again for to understand uh, what a basic income is and what it's aimed for. Basic income should give people a, a, a greater ability, a greater possibility to say no to certain jobs, but also to say yes to certain jobs. And to say no to certain jobs, including in cleaning our toilets. I sometimes say, in order to provoke my colleagues, academics, that um, one day when the basic income will be high enough, well, the people cleaning our toilets will be better paid than us. And what would be wrong with that? What would be wrong with that? Some of them don't like it. Maybe you don't like it. But, uh, but I think that would only be fair because the, the people who have, uh, because of all the other things I can do, who have uh, other options, of course, they have bargaining power and, they can, uh, and, and that leads to the positive correlation, which is absurd, between the, the rate at which, and contrary to what Adam Smith was wishing and predicting, and you have a positive correlation between how well people are, uh, are paid and how high uh, the quality of their job uh, is. You should have the opposite. And of course, the, more, uh, the higher the basic income, uh, the more bargaining power you give to the people with least uh, of that uh, bargaining power. Of course, with a modest basic income, the impact will be modest, but it will be uh, in that direction. Let me then just uh, perhaps uh, pick up um, um, one final thing on which uh, I agree, and then uh, uh, one on which uh, I disagree. Um, uh, digitalization. Again, I couldn't agree more about this idea of an absolute rarefaction of jobs, and uh, that uh, makes uh, the, you need and the, the Mark Zuckerberg argument now. And so there is robotization, uh, artificial intelligence, and all the rest. There won't be enough jobs for everyone. But uh, big businesses, the, including the robot uh, owners, uh, want people to have some money. They don't want them to starve. But they want them to buy their products, right? If you don't want the robots, won't buy the products. We need to give them money. I don't believe in that argument. I was in, uh, in, at Stanford University in Palo Alto a couple of months ago for the, for the book launch uh, uh, of this book. And uh, I there, that argument is very popular. And I started off by saying that I had just received issue number 1183 of a French magazine called La Grande Relève, short for La Grande Relève des Hommes par la Machine. It's a, a magazine that was uh, founded in uh, 1935 by a certain Jacques Dubois, who had published a book under that title. And so one, since 100, 183 months ago, they are expecting 
the grand relève, there's a great replacement of man by the machine. And, uh, and that the crisis of underconsumption would, uh, would arise as a result of that. That hasn't happened for reasons to which you, you, you rightly pointed. That doesn't mean that te technological change is not relevant. And, and that, uh, why? Because in combination, sort of technological change we have, in combination with globalization, leads to a polarization of earning power that is, that is worrying and that is part of what is driving the, plea, the, the popularity of basic income now. That means that the people who have the sort of skills that are very useful with these technologies and that are valued worldwide, these people see their earning power explode in the form of ownership of uh, intellectual property rights or in the form of, of uh, high wages. But the people who are at the bottom, who at least currently, as they are, don't have these sort of skills or may be condemned to or are constrained in all sorts of ways also by their family responsibilities and for that reason have very uh, low earning power, these people, uh, the, the loser of globalization, the precariat, the people who are fragilized, these people uh, are at risk of being, of really sort of uh, uh, getting uh, stuck in, into a situation of poverty. And so you can have all sorts of sparadrap, all sorts of uh, little things that may help uh, solve those problems. But the best structural solution, and I view the, you can only have variants of that solution as a structural solution, consists in, put, in putting this floor under uh, everyone. Final uh, point, the borders. And so this was indeed, um, you have this, uh, all these people flocking in from around the world in order to come and, and benefit from uh, from your basic income. Uh, I, when I first uh, um, presented that uh, idea and got a, a prize for a scenario, a basic income scenario I had written, uh, I was, uh, that was in 1984, hmm? 1984, uh, when I had to coin the, the expression because no one had ever thought about that idea in French. Um, well, uh, we were, so the, it was the, the, that's my last word, the, the employment minister at the time, Michel Ancen, later Secretary General of uh, the ILO, <coughs> uh, who gave the prize and he said, come and talk about it uh, in our uh, cabinet, which we did. And, uh, and then uh, I mentioned that problem. I said, well, isn't there a problem with the basic income? And that is that uh, and you have selective or opportunistic immigration to come in. And his chief of cabinet said, well, look, there is nothing specific about basic income in this respect. It's uh, the same for any non-contributive uh, transfer system. So our uh, current uh, uh, guaranteed minimum uh, income system, and, so, and that is uh, conditional in various ways, not individual, it's, uh, you need to be willing to work, and uh, it's not given to the rich, but that one is equally vulnerable to opportunistic migration. And so, because people, it's not the fact that it's individual, it's not the fact that it's given to the rich, that's a problem. It's not even the fact that it's, uh, there is a willingness to work. These people are, who would come in are willing to work. But the fact that there is a net transfer, tax-funded tax, uh, net transfer, and that wouldn't be funded uh, through a social insurance system. It's not restricted to the people who have contributed. And so the way we would need to handle that will never be very clean, as it's not very clean in the case of uh, of uh, Hartsfield or, or, or RSA or whatever, and which is that before settling, you can't just move in 
and then enjoy the full uh, non-contributive benefit from the start. And that's what is doing, done now and what will be needed in the case of, uh, of a basic income. Uh, but under my basic comment is that it's essential to have this sort of discussions. Even the, the misunderstandings, even the, the very like the Itinera report, in fact, the two authors invited me for lunch yesterday to, to ask me to forgive them for not having read the book before uh, writing a number of silly things in their, in their piece. And, uh, but uh, I think this really is very important to, for the contribution to the debate. And the, however naive the arguments for the Swiss uh, proposal and so on, the part of the initiators, nice guys, but they wanted to culture imports. They, they were not interested in, in economics. And uh, all, all what Benoit Hamon did in France, this was a tremendous contribution to, uh, the, to opening the debate beyond academics, as is the Finnish experiment. It's fantastic. So the, as soon as the, 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 the very news of, of the prospect of an experiment came uh, uh, to Belgium, uh, RTL came, phoned me, and they said, we need to interview you urgently. Can we come to your house? They came to interview me. And then uh, and I said, come on, relax. It's uh, not, uh, they're not going. And then I, I, I watched television in the evening, and you, you, you saw Father Christmas on, uh, on a sort of snow uh, uh, things being pulled, yeah, being, being pulled, and, and bringing to the Finnish population some some basic income. There was, a, a, and, it, and, and it still ended with, I, I repeat, with, an, and Finland is going soon to introduce a basic income. So, but all this makes people think about the idea, the pros and cons, and then at a high level, this sort of meeting is really what we need. Okay, uh, thanks for those enlightening um, presentation and, 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 and speeches. Uh, maybe before I give the floor to the, to the audience, maybe uh, Oli or Ilmar, you want to react to, each other, to what each other said? Yeah, let's start with you. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, excellent presentations. Uh, I feel a little, little bit uncomfortable here. I'm not in between you, but uh, mentally I'm in between you. So <laughs> that, uh, I'm not a believer of what you seem to be. That you are in, uh, in favor of basic income and you are opposing basic income. I'm just a simple-minded empiricist <laughs> and I want to have my experiments. Uh, you criticized those experiments, but uh, I think that uh, the experiment that we are doing is not an optimal one, but uh, anyway, uh, I think that the results uh, that we will get, uh, they are better than nothing. And very often, those strong arguments that we are presenting either in favor or against basic income are based on nothing, so that the empirical basis is uh, pretty weak. And uh, I must say that in my group, I had a, a good economist and bad economist. I don't say which one was which. And uh, the other one was saying that this is bullshit altogether, what we are doing. <laughs> and the, Others said that uh, now we will solve all those happiness problems and solve the suicide rates in Finland and whatever will happen so that we will have heaven in earth. So that uh, I was trying to balance with, with uh, those issues and uh, I'm uh, somehow, as I said, that I'm, I'm satisfied with the experiment despite the problems. And what you, Ilmer, said about the experiments that uh, actually we are planning to do that kind of lottery things, as you said. And also, we are going to look at the widow's pensions, because uh, they are kind of natural experiment. 
the usually he's dying away, uh, either through his own hands or, or through nature causes, and uh, seized there suddenly with a huge sum of money in the best case, and then we can somehow look what uh, she will do. So that, that, uh, that's one, one thing uh, what uh, we are planning to do and uh, expand those uh, experiments. And then uh, digitalization, uh, you agreed, and I uh, do agree that digitalization will not take away uh, all jobs, but uh, at least in my country, uh, it's happening so that the characteristics of jobs uh, are changing so that uh, nothing has happened that much. If you look at the employees, 80% of the Finnish males have uh, permanent full-time jobs, 70% of females, and uh, nothing has happened um, since uh, the 60s in that uh, relation. But if you look at self-employment, it has increased hugely. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how is it in your countries, but uh, in my country, social security for proper employees is pretty good. But in the case that you are self-employed and in the case that you are free, freelancer or micro-entrepreneur, in that case, uh, you will fall through. And that's uh, one thing what, uh, what the uh, government wants to know if it's possible to make safety net more, uh, more uh, tied. And uh, then, I think, uh, coming back to those experiments, I think that uh, each country is a little bit specific case. So that, for example, in the Canadian experiment, they are referring to child poverty, whereas in the Finnish case, we said nothing of the parliamentary, uh, parliamentary uh, politicians said nothing uh, about that issue. So that it's absent in the, the Finnish case, whereas the work incentives and disincentives are there uh, very prominently but not in, in, in the Canadian case. And uh, then, uh, finally, uh, I, it may be so that the basic income would decrease investment in education, but the, those experiments that we had, or that they had in the States in the 70s, 80s, and in Canada, they showed that the children uh, in those families that participated in the experiment, they continued longer in uh, education and uh, had better uh, educational attainments than, than those who were not involved. So that, uh, I don't know, perhaps long-term effects are different as, uh, as those uh, effects that uh, were prominent uh, when the experiments were, were running. And then, the final thing to support the basic income, it's pretty easy to get cheap support uh, in that case. That the, for example, we asked in the Finnish population, that the, is basic income a good thing? 70% of the Finns said that, of course, it's a good thing. And uh, then we said that the, if basic income would be 560 euros, then we have to collect uh, flat rate tax. Uh, on income coming on top of basic income at the rate of 42 percent, is it good thing or bad? 40 uh, percent of the Finns said that is good thing. So that the, and I think that in the Swiss uh, experiment, it was not properly calculated and it was not anchored in political debates at all. So that there were lots of enthusiastic people that had both of their feet firmly in the air 
and uh, then they came out with a totally utopian high level or, or, or basic income. So that the, in some, uh, very often people ask me that uh, what I think about basic income and my answer has always has now been, I don't know yet. <laughs> And when will you know, just when will you get some uh, result for your experiment? We will come back to that issue in the latter part of 2019. Okay, okay, we'll reinvite you in 2019. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. Okay. Uh, Ilmar, maybe you want to react before we give the floor to the audience? I think I, I shall say that I'm, sharing, I'm fully sharing the uh, intentions behind when, when, when uh, suggesting a UBI. And this is about an fighting inequality. It's about human dignity. And, um, and from that point of view, I found one issue very interesting about what you were saying. You were, you were mentioning that we have a lot of instruments that are meant to protect people from falling uh, into poverty, which are simply not taken up because people are not aware of the possibilities or the amount they are eligible for is too low so it doesn't pay off for them or the, the uh, cost of information is too high. And the UBI at a low level would simply be a contribution to overcome this kind of unfairness. Uh, this is an interesting point. I've never thought about it like this, but I think that's worth giving it a try. But that would, I mean, all reservations that I made against a UBI are reservations that are uh, valid as soon as, you, we, as we are talking about a substantial level of UBI. But what would be necessary in order to overcome that type of, of unfairness would be way lower. And I mean, a, a very low UBI, of course, is not, has, doesn't have the same um, impact as a, as a, as a UBI, which is, based, which is at the level of the average income of a society. So we, we cannot just ignore levels here. Uh, and from that point of view, I think that I, I accept that at least that point. What I don't accept, or sorry, I should not say that. Uh, what what I'm what, where I disagree is the the immigration pull thing because I think there's there's a, a crucial difference between the practice of welfare and a UBI because when immigrants come, they are. Typically, they are low, lowly educated, especially if they come for uh, humanity reasons. And so they have difficulties in integrating into a society that is requiring a high level of skills and qualifications. But we don't leave them just as they are. We challenge them by providing language skills, by providing uh, occupational skills, and people who do not want to comply with that request can become subject to uh, a complete cut of their welfare claims. And that's a crucial difference with regard to UBI because a UBI is a UBI and you, can't, you have no possibility to, uh, to cut it down for, for a certain group of people. And I think that makes a huge difference. If it is allowed for people to come to 
a place where a UBI is implemented. Simply attracted by the, by the promise that they can receive money and they can even send remittances back to their relatives in their home countries. And there's nothing that they have to do for it in exchange. I think that is a difference to social policy that is based on some kind of mutual expectations and that takes mutual expectations serious. From that point of view, uh, I, have a, I, have a, I have to disagree with what you're saying. It's not the same with UBI and, uh, and welfare. That may be true for, I think you referred to it as a, as a thing that happened in the 1980s. And especially in Germany, I can tell you it's true for the 1980s that receiving welfare was basically not a big issue and, it, and people were not challenged. But that has substantially changed, not only in Germany, it has changed in many countries. And I think there are reasons for it uh, that we have to take into account. Um, my reservations against the experiments is not coming against your experiment in, in, in particular, by the way. Don't feel offended by that. What my reservation is coming from the fact that um, the pure fact that experiments are run is abused in the, in, the, in the public debate. Because the typical argument goes like, they are now doing it in Finland, and we have done it in Namibia, and it's coming soon everywhere. This is, a, this is the, um, the rhetorics behind using experiments as an indication for uh, it must be good. If the Finns are doing it, they, they can't be fools. They, uh, and and, and the, the government has decided to promote it, so then our government is foolish that they don't uh, follow the Finns. This is the kind of rhetoric. People who argue like this don't understand only a slight bit of what is really going on in Finland. And, and also the same thing is true with meingrundeinkommen.de. It's used as an example that it, that it works. And it's already implemented here and there. So why don't we do it? And this is, this is where my reservation is coming from. It's, it's simply an abuse of uh, things that are there, uh, are existing here and there. And it, it's used as a shortcut to, uh, to uh, let's say, prevent people from having to think about it. And uh, this is, this is the problem I see, but has nothing to do with what you are doing. I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see what's coming out of that, but, um, and I'm pretty sure you are doing it in a, in a, in a state-of-the-art manner, so that at the end we will really be able to, to draw serious conclusions from it. Uh, let's see, and that's uh, that's why I'm saying that let's wait for the results before yeah, we are saying yeah. anything, so that I fully agree that uh, yeah. those experiments are used used uh, as an excuse yeah, for exactly. yeah. kind of lousy yeah. thinking, yeah, because exactly. experiments, yeah. Uh, they don't mean that uh, something will be implemented, not in Finland, yeah. Yeah. so that uh, I I'm doubt that uh, it will not be implemented. I have a small question to, to Philip. What we have been thinking uh, when we were yeah, uh, in, in, uh, when we were planning the experiment, what on earth should we do with the, those youngsters who are not in employment, not in education, not in training? 
so that if you are paying basic income, the term uh, will they immediately go and uh, be included in education and find employment, etc. So that uh, what what should we do? Maybe before you answer that, let's take yeah. other questions. Yeah. There's also the question, and you can answer also the same time. Yeah, we have some questions from the back. Uh, there is a mic somewhere that you can use. Okay, there. Is it, is it function? Good morning, citizens. My name is Angelos Harlaftis, uh, EcoWaves Movement, the movement, uh, pan-European and Mediterranean movement, which is based in direct democracy, in science and in ecology. Uh, we have written in the ecumenic theory the approach of our friend of uh, wisdom, of Sophia. Uh, uh, we don't know what is exactly meaning the universal. We are mainly interested in Europe and Mediterranean. And uh, as we have seen in Australia, where the security system is uh, is implementing from 90s the basic kind of basic income. I don't know if you can call it a basic income, but the citizen who doesn't want to work or who has inabilities to work, he gets a basic uh, a monthly uh, income in order to pay his rent and to have uh, bread and uh, food in his table. If he doesn't want to work all his life, it remains this income to his all his life. The experiment on Finland is very good. The, the latest psychological uh, uh, results we have, they are showing that not the happiness, because happy in Greek means pill, and the Huxley's uh, society is based in happiness. So the, the Finland's experiment is very important because it puts out the current security system, which is not stabilized. It doesn't have a future, as we all know, and we keep it by the debt economies, by, co by uh, by making money from electronic form without any kind of hardware uh, of materialistic uh, uh, basement. Uh, uh, so uh, the basic income for Europeans at least and Mediterraneans is very important. And about your questions, I thank you for your, to the gentleman on the right from my hand for his questions because you, you, your, your questions are very logic for the simple people, for the simple citizen. But uh, you have to take in, 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 into consideration that in the future we'll have the robots because Marx didn't uh, uh, think about the humanized machines. He spoke for machines, which during the time, they didn't have a humanized form like the robots are. So the robots are going to do all this kind of job. Already you have a lot of robots. We have around 10 million robots all around the Earth now. So uh, the, the, the cost of the current system is obliged us to, to, to make uh, this income to the citizens in the future society, because your way of thinking is today way of thinking. And the way of the basic in income written on from 8040 from your side uh, still cannot be implemented. We need, some, we need more improvement to the technological point of view to come to this basic income, which will give a lot of solutions to the current insurance system. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, are there other questions? Yeah, in the first row. Uh, quick question, please. <laughs> uh, thank you for the enlightening presentations. I have a question about the concept of universal, uh, universality, because I'm not sure if this is a, uh, the basic income is applicable to, uh, for example, the scale of the uh, uh, universal, universally applicability, because, because is it applicable only to a town or a nation state or uh, on a cosmopolitan scale that uh, a 
based on a human rights principle that every human, human being deserves the, the basic income. And, and uh, a second question is, is that, um, is, it, is it economically sound to provide the basic income? Because uh, from, the, from, the, from the point of view of the experiment, I see that the experiment is from a, a chosen group of, the, of people uh, from the society. And one must be blind not to miss the benefits uh, of this group of the people compared to the rest of the society. But does it really uh, feasible to generalize to the whole society that everybody gets more uh, extra income? If everybody gets the income, the money, credit, then it means that nobody uh, is, uh, nobody uh, has received better uh, income. And it certainly generates like the decrease, uh, like uh, deflation of the money value, and um, and maybe one day you can buy a, uh, you can buy a, a bread with this mm. some of the, in the income, and the other day you can only buy half of this. Is it is it? So mm -hmm. I want to address to Professor Wan Bahi is. A, What's the difference between um, the basic in the universal basic income compared to rose, uh, like the basic access to uh, like resources, other resources like education and uh, like basic um, system? Thank you. Um, yeah, let's take another one and then we give yeah. Thank uh, you, thank you very much. If you can be quick, because, yes, uh, yes. Yeah. I believe I will be very quick. Uh, so my uh, question is um, to summarize all the discussion. Uh, so what is the key purpose uh, of the universal basic income? Like the, the purpose? key purpose, um, and if it's uh, reducing poverty, uh, can we can we use the frameworks that we already have in our countries already? Like, do we need to to implement this uh, universal basic income, or maybe can't we already use the social benefits or other frameworks that okay, we okay. already have in place? Okay, thank you. Okay, and there is a last one there, and then we stop. Uh, so, the, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one of the key problem <laughs> of the unemployment rate in France is the high cost of production that businesses face. Do you believe that the UBI could counter the high cost of production, or do you believe that there is just no correlation between the high cost of production and the UBI? Correlation between the, the, no, the, the high, high cost of productions that businesses face and uh, the UBI. Do you believe that there is a correlation between that, and do you believe that the UBI could counter the, um, the, these problems? Yeah. The, the high cost of production could be countered by the creation of UBI, that's what you meant. Yeah, but do you believe that the UBI could counter the high cost of production that businesses face in France? Or do you believe that there is just no correlation? Uh, let's give back the, the floor to our speakers. You have noted well all the questions, I hope. Who wants to start? Uh, 
Maybe Philippe, given that you didn't have the time to, uh, to the occasion to speak twice. Uh, yeah. Um, right. Well, I didn't quite understand every question, so uh, <laughs> I didn't quite see what the the question was in the. Well, there were many things in the first intervention, and uh, of course, uh, I mean the Austra reference to Australia. Of course, the. the Many countries have introduced some sort of guaranteed minimum income scheme that is conditional in various ways. It's targeted at, in all cases, targeted at the poor, but the extent to which they implemented the work test and the availability for work varied considerably from one country to another. What is a, being a job seeker in, in the United Kingdom is quite, not quite the same as being a, a benefit recipient in some other countries. In Germany, it changed uh, before before Hartfield and after Hartfield. And so, and there are even variations from one commune, from one municipality to another in a country uh, like Belgium. But the principle is always uh, that uh, there has to be some sort of uh, uh, reciprocity. Uh, perhaps then I'll take uh, the, the, the question, the relationship with human rights, and, uh, and so, uh, which is partly the question of the scale at which it needs to be introduced, of course the most Realistic scale at which we must be thinking about about this sort of reform is uh, the national scale currently because m most of the uh, social policy is at that level. I don't think it makes any sense to introduce it at a low level because uh, of the uh, the mobility, which of course at a low level, at the level of the land or at the level of Schleswig-Holstein or, uh, or whatever, uh, which is considering an experiment um, or. or and so it, uh, it doesn't make sense, or in Brussels only it wouldn't make sense. At a high level, it uh, would make uh, economic sense, but of course uh, it's more difficult to get it, uh, to make it politically feasible. I'm myself an advocate of something called a euro dividend, a low basic income, 200 euros, funded uh, by VAT for a number of reasons, including many that haven't been mentioned here, but that are specific to what needs to be achieved at the level of the European Union, including the economic sustainability of the euro and the political feasibility of the Schengen Agreement, not unrelated to the migration issue, which you rightfully uh, raised. And so, but, so that's one thing, and the question of the scale must remain essentially the level of the nation state. Um, but the other question, the, the other aspect of that question is whether it's a human right. I don't, and sometimes you have also these enthusiastic uh, defenses of a basic income as a human right. I don't believe that, I think there is something like in the Universal Declaration of uh, Human Rights, there's something like an unconditional right to a, to a minimum income, but we shouldn't confuse an unconditional right to an income with a right to an unconditional income. And that is, the, right, the unconditional right to an income can remain an income that is not strictly individual, it's given at the level of the household, uh, the, the design, the, the, is, is such that it's targeted at the poor, and you can have, uh, you can require the people who are able to work, to work in order to get that income. And so, uh, you can't derive a justification for an unconditional basic income from the Declaration of Human Rights. On the other issue you mentioned, uh, which is the inflationary aspect, I briefly uh, uh, alluded to that before. Of course, if if uh, you you can't say that with a basic income, everyone's income will go up. This is absurd. Even if you funded it with money creation, the nominal income of everyone would go up, but it would create inflation and the real income uh, would uh, be affected by it uh, for, through a mechanism distinct from the one you mentioned, but it's, it's, it's essentially it comes down uh, to, to the same. 
I'll just uh, uh, finish by uh, uh, reacting in two ways to what has been said, which is that I fully understand your irritation about all the things that are being said. Look at Namibia, look at, uh, at uh, what happened. And for uh, a number of reasons, I mean, Namibia, for example, it's, uh, it's, it, it was a real basic income in a small village uh, at the level of 4% of GDP per capita in, uh, in Namibia. And in a context in which for the people be before retirement age, in which they had nothing. So how can you derive anything from an experiment like that to what would happen in our context, where in fact, the main where we have already a, a guaranteed minimum income of, of, of some sort. Even the, the, in related to, to what you said, Oli, even for example, what we can say about the impact of, on human capital by saying, look at Dauphin or, or look at this thing. We need to do that in an extremely careful way because for many of these families, a number of these families, they had nothing uh, uh, before. And so, so and when we, and you have to see what was the background situation in which it was introduced, what exactly was the scheme. It was a negative income scheme that resembles in such a way. So even when we have carefully made experiments, uh, not like the Namibian one, and then uh, we need to compare the what was exactly introduced and what was the background in which it was introduced before deriving uh, any conclusion. So I agree with that. In fact, a part of our book, uh, I mean, the motivation of our book was really to get these things straight and to sort of tell people, stop using these sort of stupid arguments. And we, we try to explain why and to say how much can be said on that basis and how little and also what promises can be made on, uh, with the, the current experiments and, and what limits are intrinsic to any experiments, in particular the fact that you can never put in the experiments the people who will be net contributors. You can't tell people, look, for two, ye for two years or five years, we are going, you are going to earn less than other people in your situation, and we'll just see how you react. We find it interesting. <laughs> and then uh, who will <laughs> want to, to join that, uh, that sort of uh, experiment? Finally, then on, the con on immigration, that's also a point made by Anke in, in, in our thing. So with an unconditional basic income, you have these three unconditionalities which define it. But I'm personally not against a number of other conditions that are sometimes added, like, for example, saying you, can't only, you can only get a, a child benefit from, from your uh, basic income for your children if you do some healthcare tests when they are very young or if you send them to school. And similarly, I would say if for people who are recent immigrants, don't uh, master the language of the place where uh, they move into, I'm not against imposing, saying, well, you only get it if you go through these language courses which are provided to you. And, and there may be some additional conditions of, of this sort. So, the, so that I'm not, uh, and some sort of participation income in some conditions as is proposed by, uh, so I'm, I'm not a purist in this. And in any case, we need to move forward in a prudent way, in a cautious way, and, and we won't just jump uh, stages. Uh, one word maybe from Ilmar and from Oli before we close the session, because we're already, we already run out of time. Yeah, I, would, uh, I would like to reply to the first intervention also. Um, it, if I understood correctly, you were objecting my positive view on technological progress, and you were saying robots will destroy all our jobs. I don't share that view, but um, and what I see in sorry, did I did I get you wrong? Yes. 
Sorry, then. Then, uh, then. Okay, um, then uh, I would like to address, we, we can uh, save time here, I could, but would like to address the last point that if, I don't know whether I got it right, but uh, the idea was could a UBI counteract high cost of production? And I understood it like um, firms would be allowed to pay lower wages because workers would have a certain minimum income anyway. Uh, that's an interesting view, but uh, I would not like to advocate this because that's, we call it a uh, subsidy. And we know uh, a lot about the, the uh, unintended side effects of uh, subsidies uh, that can uh, put you in all kinds of trouble that you did not, that you were not able to anticipate. And uh, I'm strongly, advocating uh, to let market uh, mechanisms to decide over the right prices. I don't think it's a good idea to justify a UBI based on, uh, let's say, increasing our competitiveness. Uh, competitiveness should be improved by quality uh, of service and quality of products, but not by a UBI. Spoke first, you will speak last. Yeah, so Philip started uh, with his presentation a quotation from uh, Karl Marx, and I'll end in the same tone. Um, because uh, when planning this experiment, I have uh, very much been amused by an old uh, Soviet joke. Politruk went uh, to the factory, preaching in the blessings of socialism and communism in front of 4,000 persons. And then after four hours lecture, he asked that you have something to ask. Nobody dared to ask. Then finally, Ivan rose his hand and asked that, uh, dear uh, uh, comrade Politruk, who invented socialism? Was it the scientists or uh, proletariat? And then the Politruk thought that, uh, of course, it was scientists. Marx was the greatest scientist, then Lenin followed him, and the greatest, oh, greatest scientist is uh, Fatosani Stalin, of course. And, but then he thought that if I say that scientists invented socialism, in that case they will be pissed off with me and uh, the whole idea of communism. And he said that, of course, it was proletariat that invented communism. And then the uh, Ivan guy said that, yeah, that was what I thought. In the case that it had been scientists, in that case they had first experimented with rabbits. <laughs> okay, uh, thanks for this conclusion. Uh, join me in thanking our three speakers uh, for their great uh, speeches and, and presentations.